Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today, I'll be reading a passage from the personal narrative of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, born in 1703, was a Congregational minister in Western Massachusetts known for his powerful preaching and the religious awakening that flowed from it. His continued presence in American classrooms, if he's present at all, is limited to his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, a relentless exposition of hellfire that brought its original audience to hysterics. Though we now think such preaching to be old-fashioned, at the time he preached it, it was something new. The Protestant Reformation, instigated by John Calvin, was a dark vision from its beginning, but it was also highly intellectual. It was reason that led Calvin to reject Catholicism, and the sermons of English Reformed ministers prior to Edwards and his ilk were primarily lectures on doctrine. But Edwards believed that more than intellectual assent was necessary for salvation. The heart must be converted as well as the head. The difference, he explained in a much more positive sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, is the difference between knowing that honey is sweet by being told so and knowing its sweetness by tasting it. Salvation requires not just knowing something, but experiencing something, whether on the one hand the sweetness of God or on the other the terror of God. Edwards himself experienced these opposed aspects of God not separately, but simultaneously. He describes his first feeling and experience of God in his personal narrative. Though both his father and grandfather were ministers, Edwards as a youth could not accept the Calvinist doctrine of predestination. It was, he writes, to him a horrible doctrine. At the age of 17, his mind changed. He says he doesn't know how, so the change wasn't a rational matter. Accompanying his acceptance of this doctrine was a new experience, not just of God's beauty, God's majesty and glory, but of the world's beauty, the beauty and sublimity of nature, experience he describes in his personal narrative. The change came during his senior year at Yale. He'd entered as a freshman when he was 13. And when he went home on spring break, he talked about what he was experiencing with his father. I'll begin there. From the personal narrative of Jonathan Edwards. Not long after I first began to experience these things, I gave an account to my father of some things that had passed in my mind. I was much affected by the discourse we had together, and when the discourse was ended, I walked abroad alone in a solitary place in my father's pasture for contemplation. And as I was walking there and looked up on the sky and clouds, there came into my mind a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God that I know not how to express. I seemed to see them both in a sweet conjunction, 
Majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle and holy majesty, and also a majestic meekness, an awful sweetness, a high and great and holy gentleness. After this, my sense of divine things gradually increased and became more and more lively and had more of that inward sweetness. The appearance of everything was altered. There seemed to be, as it were, a calm, sweet cast or appearance of divine glory in almost everything. God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity and love seemed to appear in everything, in the sun, moon, and stars, in the clouds and blue sky, in the grass, flowers, trees, in the water, and all nature, which used greatly to fix my mind. I often used to sit and view the moon for a long time, and so in the daytime spent much time in viewing the clouds and sky to behold the sweet glory of God in these things. In the meantime, singing forth with a low voice my contemplations of the Creator and Redeemer. And scarce anything among all the works of nature was so sweet to me as thunder and lightning. Formerly, nothing had been so terrible to me. I used to be a person uncommonly terrified with thunder, and it used to strike me with terror when I saw a thunderstorm coming. But now, on the contrary, it rejoiced me. I felt God at the first appearance of a thunderstorm, and used to take the opportunity at such times to fix myself to view the clouds and see the lightnings play and hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder, which oftentimes was exceeding entertaining, leading me to sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. And while I viewed, I used to spend my time, as it always seemed natural to me, to sing or chant forth my meditations, to speak my thoughts and soliloquies, and speak with a singing voice. In addition to the overall beauty of this passage, two particular things strike me. The first is Edward's emphasis on the sweetness of his new experience and understanding. There came into my mind, he writes, of his memory of walking alone in his father's pasture after his conversation with him, looking up at the sky and clouds. There came into my mind a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God. I seemed to see them both in a sweet conjunction, majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle and holy majesty, and also a majestic meekness and awful sweetness. After this, my sense of divine things gradually increased and had more of that inward sweetness. The appearance of everything was altered. There was a calm, sweet cast or appearance of divine glory in everything. I often sat and viewed the moon and in the daytime the clouds and sky to behold the sweet glory of God. Sweetness and calmness, even an awful sweetness, most characterizes Edward's sense of God and the world after his conversion. 
Sweetness probably isn't the first thing to come to mind when we think of religion today, and perhaps that's too bad. The second thing I find striking in this passage is Edward's response to feeling this awful sweetness. He would sing forth in a low voice his contemplations of the Creator and Redeemer. This was particularly true in the presence of a thunderstorm. Scarce anything among all the works of nature, he writes, was so sweet to me as thunder and lightning. Prior to his conversion, he says, nothing had been so terrible. But now, he continues, when he saw an approaching thunderstorm, quote, I took the opportunity to fix myself to view the clouds and see the lightnings play and hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder. And while I viewed, I sang or chanted forth my sweet contemplations. I spoke my thoughts and soliloquies and spoke with a singing voice, end quote. I think it's safe to say that this 17-year-old young man isn't an average person, nor is his response to God and the world in the midst of a thunderstorm, singing and chanting to himself and God in a low voice, a common one, even among the religious. Onlookers might, in fact, take him to be at least a bit crazy, if not a lot crazy. Edwards doesn't specify where he would place himself to view the dark clouds and see the lightnings play and hear the thunder. Perhaps under the eaves of a house or just within the door of a barn where he could stay dry. But I like to picture him in the thunderstorm, chanting and singing, perhaps at the top of a rise or in the middle of a field, sitting on the ground as the rain fell on him and the lightning flashed around him and the thunder shook his heart, he all the while singing and chanting. It's an image I like to contrast with images of two other writers of his time also in thunderstorms. Benjamin Franklin, and John Woolman. Most of you probably can picture Franklin as I do, standing in the middle of a field in a thunderstorm flying a kite, thereby establishing that the substance of lightning is electricity, from which knowledge will come the development of our electrical knowledge, which has transformed the world. The Quaker Woolman, too, wrote of being in a thunderstorm, in his case, it occurs as he is traveling to Parley with the native people of America who have been forced from their homelands and who thus suffer from exposure while the white Europeans are warm in their houses built where the habitations of the Indians once had been. We see three different ways of being in and responding to the world in these three men. Edwards, the poet and mystic in the natural world, Franklin, the scientist and practical man, and Woolman, the worker for social justice. Today, our tendency is to criticize others for what they're not, rather than to value and learn from what they are. I think this is a mistake. As each of us strive in our lives to become more complete beings, we can take from Edwards his feeling response to the world we all experience. 
From Franklin, we can take his practical response to what the world offers so as to advance our knowledge and technology and practical affairs. And from Woolman, his deep concern for and action on behalf of the poor and marginalized and oppressed. And of course, we also look to yet others for those aspects of being human none of these three manifest. How to be good companions, for instance how to be good in relationship to those we love, how to be good mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and daughters and sons and husbands and wives and lovers and friends. We can never be all we might be in the world, but we can always be more than we are. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.